0: The Christian's soul recoils in horror, pure horror, at the mass murder of unborn innocent children known as abortion. The Christian's heart and soul also recoils in horror at the senseless, ridiculous killing of innocent people in what has become a very normal occurrence in modern day in America. It's become a normal occurrence as mass shootings continue to dominate the headlines. Do you know that we've had one mass shooting in each of the last six weeks in a row? I was looking at my smartphone today and before I came over and there were two more today. One in Austin this afternoon and one earlier in Wisconsin this morning. And so our souls recoil at those things. And yet, there's another atrocity which Almighty God shows the same abhorrence for in at least two texts. And I will mention them both as the sermon unfolds. In two other texts, he shows the same abhorrence for something as he does for the taking of innocent lives or shedding of innocent blood in the same text. Another abhorrence that sadly, There are some Christians that practice with impunity. I want you to think about that for a few minutes, what I just said, and we'll get back to it later on in the lesson. Tonight's sermon is going to focus in on a text that you've heard me mention a number of times in different and related scenarios and lessons over my tenure here, but one which I don't know that I've ever necessarily devoted an entire lesson to and certainly haven't devoted an entire lesson to it with the same positive focus that I want to try to bring to it tonight. It addresses a sin and abhorrence to God that is prevalent in certain pockets of our brotherhood throughout the nation. The title of tonight's sermon is The Advantages, Blessings, and godly wisdom behind Matthew 18:15 Please turn there The advantages, blessings and godly wisdom behind Matthew 18:15 I would read that text. It says the following. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. The first thing I'd like for us to notice that we don't typically talk about is the surrounding context, the surrounding context of this command that we have from our Lord and Savior. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, and you can peruse that as I'm saying this, but Matthew 18, 1 through 15, has to do with the absolute humility which we must possess if we ever hope to enter heaven. That's the first 14 verses. While Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 35, the rest of that chapter has to do with the absolute forgiveness which we must be willing to extend to our brethren if we ever hope to enter heaven. That is the context surrounding this text. And right right in the middle of that discussion between the absolute and essential humility and ability to forgive that we must possess in order to enter heaven, we see this command from our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 18, 15 telling us if we have a brother that sins against us we are to go to that brother privately. I want to zoom in. I want to zoom in even closer to that context. I want to break it down a little bit more. Let's check this out. As I said, verses 1 through 5 of Matthew 18 have to do with the personal humility that we each must have in order to enter heaven. Must become like little children. We must have that kind of humility. Then in verses 6 and 7, the discussion is taken further by telling us how important it is not to cause another child or obviously by extension and application another child of God to sin under any circumstances. That's verses 6 and 7. Verses 8 and 9 go on to tell us personally that any part or portion of our lives that causes us to sin personally must be immediately eradicated at all costs. And then verses 10 through 14 once again stresses the infinite value of each child of God and how we each must do everything we can to see that they are preserved, protected, and do not perish. And it's in that context, outlined verse by verse in Matthew 18, it's right in the middle of that context leading up to Christ's commandment. In Matthew 18, 15, that we find that verse, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Then in verses 16 through 20, Jesus outlines the process to carry out if it can't be worked out. But then, don't miss this. But then he spends the rest of the chapter, verses 21 through 35, more than a third of that chapter, he spends wrapping up with the need for Christ-like forgiveness to permeate the entire process, the essentiality of God-like forgiveness to permeate the entire process. A process which... If begun with the proper, godlike humility that is explained in the first few verses, that humility of heart, plus the godly recognition of the value of every soul, in verses 1 through 14. It will eventuate in the forgiveness of verses 21 through 35 assuring that in almost every case where the instruction of Matthew 18, 15 is carried out with that attitude, any of the ensuing steps won't be necessary. They're there if you need them, but they're not typically needed. Again, if we approach with this childlike humility, recognizing the value of every soul, verses 1 through 14, with a forgiveness that permeates the whole entire situation verses 21 through 35 it's right in the middle of that that we find our text for the evening if we do that as I said the ensuing steps won't be necessary isn't God awesome for giving us this it's the perfect solution to every personal problem between brethren isn't God's way always the best way always always doesn't matter what the problem is. God's way is always the best way. And and yeah, big old Oklahoma, yes, absolutely. So I want you to consider with me tonight some of the priceless, and I mean that priceless, practical, everyday benefits of our complete obedience to Matthew 18 and verse 15. Instead of the way, you know, some typically deal with their problem with that other brother or sister with what they did or said and and go and 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 run them down to everybody else or complain or whatever the case may be behind their back that's that's disobedience to the word of god in this passage just the command of god so let us look at five benefits blessings and the godly wisdom behind matthew 18 15 benefit number one of course that one's the easiest benefit number one of course, is that God always rewards the faithful. Right? Always. Benefit number one to doing what he told us to in Matthew 18, 15 is that God always rewards the faithful's obedience and he strongly punishes the unfaithful's continued disobedience if it's not repented of. We know that. Hence, should anyone ever sin by going around disobeying this commandment goes around running down or complaining a brother or sister they have a problem with instead of going with to that brother and sister they're asking for trouble from God because disobedience always brings about retribution in other words they'll make their life far more miserable than it has to be they're gonna wind up fighting God That's benefit number one of keeping this commandment. God rewards the faithful. Number two, benefit, has to do with the outcome. And and I really want to, I need to get a hold of this in my mind, and I want you to get a hold of it in yours. Benefit number two has to do with the outcome we are hoping to accomplish. Simple as that. What is the outcome we are hoping to accomplish? Benefit two has to do with that end result we're hoping to accomplish when we are obedient to God and go to a brother or sister who has sinned against us rather than to anyone and everyone else to complain about that brother or sister as unfortunately has been known to happen in our brotherhood nationwide. And that has to do again with the outcome. Did I make it clear that has to do with the outcome? There's a point I'm trying to make here. If he hears you you've what if he hears you you have gained your brother isn't that what it should be about isn't that the whole purpose listen that isn't that the outcome that we all want Brethren, going and talking to everybody else about the brother or sister I have a problem with is not going to accomplish that. It's not going to win the brother back. Listen, if I got a problem with you or some other brother or sister's got a problem with you, everybody in this room would rather work it out privately. You don't want your name smeared all over the congregation, do you? I don't mind either. Come to me, talk to me. You're not going to win any friends by not following this. But but if we follow this, we can gain a brother back. And so, this is benefit 2B, or not 2B, yeah, this is 2B. We prove by our approach the outcome we want to accomplish. God said... If your brother sins against you, go to him. If he listens, you have gained your brother. That's the the purpose. That's the point. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And so we prove by our approach the outcome we wish to accomplish. If if we go to that brother or sister that when they feel they've sinned against us, you know what that proves to God? That proves we want to gain that brother back because we're following the, the format to accomplish that. It proves that we want to regain the relationship. It proves we want to improve the relationship. When we go to that brother or sister that that has sinned against us and we go to them privately, it proves to them and God that we want to regain, improve that relationship, gain our brother back. It proves that we want to preserve and protect that particular brother's reputation as well as their relationship with us and the Lord. Whereas, if we approach this situation any other way, there's no way but God's way, if we approach that situation any other way rather than to go to the brother who sins against us when we feel that he has, or sister, then that suggests that we may have a more sinister or selfish motive in mind. Simple as that. I might as well just say it. If God's way is to gain the brother back, and this process is meant to accomplish that, if we don't go at this situation this way, then it probably means we at least subconsciously, have a different motive, a more selfish or sinister motive in mind. Benefit number three has to do with the fact that if we personally and privately go to a brother or sister we have a problem with, instead of sinning and disobeying God's command in Matthew 18, 15, by for instance going to and burdening church leaders with those issues it allows church leaders to continue doing what they're biblically charged by God with doing instead of having their work hindered, their work hampered, their work hamstrung. Church leaders of any ilk have God-given responsibilities that they are supposed to be carrying out and for instance, and when we go to them instead of the brother or sister we got the problem with, we bog them down. We bog down elders and preachers and deacons and all of that with things that the Bible doesn't say they should be involved with because God has given us the perfect solution for dealing with that problem with right here. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples of this. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. If you want to turn there, that's fine. I have it printed out, but... In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, let me give you an example of this. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their works' sake. Be at peace among yourselves. This is written to recognize all those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. This, this, this church leadership, as it were, whatever form that takes. How do you esteem them highly? How do you respect them? You respect them by being at peace among yourselves. How do you maintain peace among yourselves? Simple. Matthew eighteen fifteen. if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's how you do it. Another one of these texts is in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Question. What is one of the best ways to obey this command of God to help those in leadership positions in the church to find joy instead of grief as they carry out their God-given responsibilities? What's one of the best ways to do that? Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go to him privately. Tell him his fault between the two of you. I remember... First full-time preaching job that I had. We didn't have elders. I was a preacher, and as a preacher, and congregation was over 100 people. And uh, <laughs> I knew more things than I wanted to know about, more people than I wanted to know about. I told you this before, but everybody thought that my job as the preacher was to solve every argument between them. Now, my job as the preachers in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. It got so bad, kid you not, that I finally put a sign up on my door as you walked into that particular church building, my office was on the left, just as you come in the door, and I finally put this big colored sign up on the door, and it said something to this effect. Please do not come to me about the problem you have with your brother until you go talk to your brother about the problem you have with him. I actually posted that on the door. That's a shame it had to get to that point. But here's the thing. I see nowhere in the scriptures where preachers or elders or deacons, or other members of the church are called to be referees, personal interceders, or the congregational complaint department. I don't see that. And if you see that in Scripture, text me, write me, email me, talk to me, call me, do something in this situation where a brother has sinned against me I see no place where anybody else in the church is supposed to be a referee a personal interceder or a congregational complaint department brethren they got far too many other things to do let me ask you something do you, anybody here got anything going on in their lives? anything at all I just know that if I have a problem with brother or sister so-and-so you just love to have me come to your house and spend four hours explaining why I'm right and they're wrong so you can deal with it right? no I don't see in the scriptures where that's scriptural why because God has given us the perfect solution Matthew 18 15 if your brother sins against you go to him alone and discuss his fault with him God's put the perfect mechanism in place to deal with that benefit number four Of first going to the brother or sister privately with whom you have a problem can be seen in the fact that if you don't, here's what happens. I've preached in congregations full time in New England, in the upper Midwest, and in the lower Midwest. And I can tell you from all three, here's what happens. If you don't go, here's what happens. That little harsh word, that little tiny issue that little thorn in the flesh that little problem between you and that other member of the church if you don't go deal with it it starts to grow starts to get a little bigger the more you think about it the more upset you get the more upset you get the bigger the problem gets the bigger the problem gets the more upset you get the more upset you get the worse it gets this thing grows like a spiritual cancer And you've either got to get rid of it on your own or you've got to go talk to that brother or sister about it before it grows like a wildfire. You know these wildfires, they stay after these grass fires. I remember a few years ago here in Oklahoma and the the fire departments would stay out there and and they'd try to make sure that every little fire was out, why? Because if they drive away into something smoldering 12 hours later, guess what they got? You gotta put the fire out. That's why we need to go, that's the benefit, that's the godly wisdom, God knew how we are. And so God said go deal with it. Because if you don't, it can grow like a soul-consuming wildfire and become one of the biggest and most deadly relationship killers you can imagine if you allow it to take on a life of its own. That's a godly wisdom when God says, go deal with it. Go go take care of it with your brother or sister. This little tiny thing, this little irritant, can become massive. Like, how how many, how big of a flame does it start, does it take to start a wildfire? Just one match, do it? One match, big as my fingernail, start a wildfire, burn down forest, yeah. Same thing here. And James, in his wisdom, realized that the smallest of problems can become the biggest of one. James wrote in James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest A little fire kindles James understood this very thing God had him put it in scripture for us talking about the tongue and what we do with it and he said the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell James wrote that in James 3 5 and 6 God told him to write that that little spark that little issue if it's not dealt with speaking of the fires of hell and their relevance to Jesus command in Matthew 18 and verse 15 to go to a brother or sister you have a problem with privately first before discussing it with anybody else the fifth and final benefit is the fifth and final benefit this one we're going to spend the most time on Is that this is the only process the only process in this situation that will save people from the fires of hell did you know that it's as serious to God see it's okay it's okay to have a difference of opinion I had a young man in the house today with a Green Bay Packers shirt on (laughs) in my cowboy's house from years past anyway I've kind of given up on sports It's a different story but anyway it's okay to have a difference of preference or a difference of opinion with a brother or sister nothing wrong with that as long as we don't allow it to negatively impact or affect our relationship with them as long as we don't allow it to Negatively affect our ability to work and to worship with them to the glory of God as long as it doesn't allow us to look down on or dislike them or Cause us to go negatively discuss our displeasure with them with the rest of the congregation Then it's problem However If we allow that little problem to grow into some massive wildfire that just rips and tears and, and, and tears apart everything that it touches, to the point that we begin to resent that brother or sister or we begin to start to gossip or slander or sow seeds of doubt or sow seeds of dislike and discord amongst the brethren about that particular brother or sister, that is when we put our own soul in immediate danger of hellfire. Did you know that? Say, Doug, you're being overly dramatic. No, I'm not being half as dramatic as I'd ought to be. It is when we allow that small problem to cause us to go and, again, sow seeds of doubt and dislike and discord amongst the rest of the congregation about that brother or sister that we put our own soul in immediate danger. If you don't think so, then consider this. Remember what I said at the very beginning? Very beginning of this lesson, I said this. There is an atrocity, after I talked about mass murders and abortion, there is an atrocity which Almighty God shows the same abhorrence for in at least two texts as He does for the taking of innocent lives or the shedding of innocent blood. Actually, I don't know if I said that, but it was in my notes to say that. So, either way, it's the same thing. There is a text. Actually, there's two that show that God has the same abhorrence for this sowing seeds of discord and doubt as he does for the shedding of innocent blood and the taking of innocent lives. The first of those two is in Proverbs 6. And as I consider some of the mass shootings and things that are going on in our world and how horrible that is, I notice in this text that in Proverbs chapter 6, the the shedding of innocent blood is mentioned once but sowing discord over that brother or sister is mentioned twice. That scares me, tells me how important this is to God that this not be done. In Proverbs chapter 6 verse 12, it says a worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. Winks with his eyes, shuffles his feet, points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. There's the first mention. Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly, suddenly he'll be broken without remedy. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, okay, discord and shedding of innocent blood one to one, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren, sowing discord is two to one in this text. That should bother us, that should scare us. King Solomon goes on in the book of Proverbs, and if you get your note taken pencil ready, here we go. King Solomon goes on in the book of Proverbs to say that the spreading of such discord and strife only comes about and is produced by one consumed with wrath, Proverbs 15, 18 anger Proverbs 29 in verse 22 pride Proverbs 13:10 hatred Proverbs 10 and verse 12 and perversity in his heart Proverbs 16:28 now I didn't write that God did but he explains it that, that that's where the sowing of discord and strife comes from is one who has these in his heart. You know, Solomon's father, King David, also spoke of how ungodly, and therefore how intolerable to God such behavior was as well, as well as stressing a positive behavior by contrast, which it will take to live in the presence of God in Psalm 15, turn with me to Psalm 15. David stressed that this, this type of behavior cannot come into his house. Look at what David says, David, the man after God's own heart, Solomon's father, Psalm 15, one through four. He's asking the question, God, who can live in your house? Who can live in your presence? God, who are you gonna take to be with you? And here's his answer and this is why that other was so scary that I just mentioned. Lord, Psalm 15, one, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? In other words, for us today, who's, who is it that's, that's gonna be worthy to be with God in eternity? Verse two, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. That's who's going to heaven. That's the kind of Christian and godly behavior that it takes to be in the presence of God forever. In fact, Because of its infectious nature, the man after God's own heart went on to say he would not tolerate such behavior in his own house. He would not have it, nor in the house of God in Psalm 101, turn there please. He wasn't gonna put up with discord being sown in his house, nor in the house or city, as he says, of God. Psalm 101, check this out. David said, I can't tolerate it. It can't abide with me because it can't abide with God. Psalm 101, David said, I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? David crying out to God. He says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. He said, I'm not getting involved with it. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land and they'll dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of God. David said, I can't put up with that because God can't put up with it. It's abhorrent to God. It's got to be abhorrent to me. That brings us to one of the most important points of the entire sermon, if not the most important one. While I am sure... I am sure let me say that again I am absolutely sure that probably every single one of us just like King David want absolutely no part of the consequences involved in disobeying Matthew 18 15 we want none of the consequences involved in spreading strife and discord we've all made up our minds I'm sure To go to that brother or sister privately first if we have a problem with them but the truth of the matter is that's not enough scripturally speaking book chapter and verse black and that's not enough it's not I'll tell you why see we don't live in a bubble we're part of a community Part of a family we're part of one another we're part of the church of the living God in Christ and as such it would only take one it would only take one seeking to sow the seeds of doubt and discord one seeking to discredit another one like a tiny bit in a huge horse's mouth like a tiny rudder on a massive ship or one tiny ember can burn down and destroy a mighty forest, so too can just one person. Sowing seeds of doubt and discord eventually divide and devastate an entire fellowship. Just one. How many matches take down, burn down fire, burn down forest? One. Unless. Unless they are stopped by the rest of the congregation's compliance with God's commandments. You know God told us how to make this thing go away like that. God told us how to make that situation go away. God, who who was in that boat, in the flesh, and the the waves were going up and down, and he said, peace be still, and that entire water was calmed. This same God has told us exactly how to put the fire out, period, bang, gone, done. Just like that. Want to see it? I to show to you in Scripture. Proverbs 26. This is how it stopped by the entire congregation. This is how it stopped. This is how it's dealt with. Basically, what I did with the sign on the door. Proverbs 26, this is how to do it. This is how to win. This is how to put the fire out. This is how to get rid of the embers. This is awesome. Proverbs 26, please watch this carefully, Solomon said, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Is that true? You got a campfire, you stop feeding the campfire, what happens to the fire's going out? Now what if the fire wants to continue to live? It doesn't matter if there's no wood, the fire's going out, it's gonna stop, it's done, it's over. Listen, in the same way Solomon says, and where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. You know what that means? It means if somebody comes to me in any way, shape, or form and starts to sully one of y'all's reputation, oh, I got a problem with brother so and so. I got a problem with sister so and so. Do you know? Whoa! Guess what? If I tell them at that point, have you talked to them about it? They say, well, well, no, I haven't. But I'm not. then don't talk to me about it. Yeah, but you don't understand. I don't wanna understand. Yeah, but you don't, I don't wanna know. The scripture is clear. Go to them before you come to me and talk to me about them. Yeah, but you've gotta listen. No, I don't. Well, click, whatever. Okay, have I obeyed God? Not only have I obeyed God, but have helped them maybe to preserve their soul because God hates this when, when strife and discord and, and, and all of this stuff is spread. And, and he says the way to stop it is to take away the wood. If you stop the tail bearer because they can't bear a tail to you, the strife ceases, it's over, it's done, it's cooked, it's done. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is the contentious man to kindle strife. The contentious one may still say, yeah, but you don't. Yeah, that's right, I don't, and I ain't about to, and I ain't gonna, and that's the end of it. Yeah, but don't you wanna know? No, I don't. Not until you talk to that brother or sister. Well, I, 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 I mentioned it to him, what'd you say? Well, um, what'd they say? Well, they said, blah, blah, blah. okay, I'm gonna call him, check, oops. <laughs> The fire goes out when it's not fed. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. They go down into the inmost body. It, you know, we have this thing as human beings that, that sometimes we, we ingest that stuff, but the bottom line is, is the same thing is true with this situation as the Apostle John talked about in, in 2 John 2, 10, and 11 in regards to false teachers. Remember what he said about false teachers? He said, he who welcomes him shares in his evil deeds, If I'm willing to sit right there and listen to to this brother talk about that brother and what a horrible brother he is, yeah, and I'm just soaking it up, man, I am just like, I'm joining them in their evil deeds. I'm becoming an accomplice to the crime. The Apostle Paul mentions this in Romans chapter one, verses 28 through 31, where he puts murder and strife in the same sentence. One sin is as bad as the other. Yes, strife and spreading strife is as bad or, 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 or gossip or all of that stuff. Discord is as bad as murder, Paul says, again, in Romans one twenty-eight through 31. And he talks about if you give approval to them, it's just as bad as doing it. And so the way we don't give approval is say, no, I'm not listening. The answer is to shut them down. Don't give them a platform, period. King Solomon even went so far in Proverbs as to say this in Proverbs 22.10. He said, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. It's not all that different from what the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 3.10 when he told him to reject such a divisive person after a first and second warning knowing that such a one is sinning. Self-condemned. In conclusion tonight, Matthew 18, the whole chapter, Matthew 18, verse 15 in particular, we see two things. If we want to go to heaven, we've got to be humble enough to go to the brother who's given us an issue. Simple as that. Before we ever go to anybody else and talk to them about it. And secondly, second thing from tonight's lesson is that... We must shut down. I mean shut down. I can say that. I always wondered why, when we lived in New England, I always wondered why Reba McIntyre made down a two-syllable word, but since I've been in Oklahoma, I've realized this, down! And that's exactly what I'm saying. We need to secondly shut down. Any conversation with any brother or sister talking down another brother or sister before they've gone to that brother or sister if we want to go to heaven. As I said, this has been something that I've seen all too many times all over the country. Well, all over the country again. At least on the East Coast in the Midwest. Brethren, we need to understand how serious this is to God. And I hope we do. Tonight, if you're not a member of the Lord's Church, you'd like to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you'd like the prayers of the church to be stronger, please come to the front as we stand and sing.